0: Good evening. Welcome to the pipeline. This is the Western Standards weekly panel show, where a number of us will go through the top issues, break them down, analyze them, figure out what they mean, or at least give our best interpretation of the. My name is Corey Morgan. I am one of the columnists in Alberta for the Western Standard, and I am joined by our angle skirt end to end, Dave Naylor, our news editor. How's it going, Dave?
1: Great, Corey. Great to be here.
0: Good. And our opinion editor, as always, on the show, Nigel Hannaford.
2: Going great here, too.
0: Uh, good. Thanks, Corey. No problem. What a week. It's just... crazy. Uh, it was really uh, difficult to figure out what to, to talk about first. There's so much going on. what we
2: call a target-rich environment.
0: Yes. Well, <laughs> it's, it's better than a dearth, I think. Yeah. I think. So it uh, depends on what the issues are. We got a lot of them to talk about today. We'll get through a few. Plus, we're going to be... Pulling in Sean Polzer shortly to talk about things from the World Petroleum Congress and uh, we'll also have uh, Jonathan Bradley checking in from the march and uh, some protests downtown. So you know what? Let's talk about our sponsor first while everything starts getting together here and that is the Canadian Shooting Sports Association. They've been a fantastic sponsor. The reason we can do these shows, have these reporters on the ground, people out there covering this stuff is due to subscribers and sponsors and if, hey, if you enjoy firearms, You purchase firearms, you collect them, you hunt, whatever, it's your business, you're a law-abiding citizen, but you need to be a member of the Canadian Shooting Sports Association. They're standing up for your right to maintain your hobby, profession, whatever you like that involves firearms. And if you are not a member of that, you are allowing the government to set the agenda against your firearm ownership and use. So check them out, guys. They, they really stand up for your rights, and they've been a fantastic sponsor. Canadian Shooting Sports Association, their website is cssa-cila.org, or again, just Google them, Canadian Shooting Sports Association. All right, well, let's get into it, Dave. Maybe I'll get you to kind of frame it, and we'll pull Sean in. We've got a very big event happening in Calgary this week.
1: Yes, first time in 20 years, the World Petroleum uh, Congress. 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 Mm. Uh, I always get it wrong. Uh, 5,000 delegates from across the world. These are the movers and shakers uh, of the oil industry. Uh, Saudi Arabia, from uh, India, uh, South America, you name it, they're here uh, yeah. doing deals, talking with the governments uh, yeah. and whatnot. And unfortunately, they've been getting mixed messages uh, from uh, our federal counterparts uh, uh, and uh, Daniel Smith, the uh, of Alberta, they've been offering different messages which uh, Sean can talk about.
0: Sure think Well, maybe I'll start with Sean then, since you're there on the ground, Sean, seeing things. Uh, it's unfortunate it's supposed to be a global thing, a world thing, but it looks like kind of a, a local uh, missing match of sorts is developing uh, between the, the premier and the prime minister's representative.
3: Yeah. Uh, Natural Resources Minister uh, Jonathan Wilkinson was uh, one of the co speakers at the opening ceremonies on Sunday. Uh, while protests were happening outside the conference hall but while in the conference hall and in his uh, speech um, he spoke of the need to basically keep the oil in the ground that oil demand is going to fall to 25 million barrels a day that uh, it's just the the usual just transition uh narrative that uh, the federal government has been uh, pushing for for a long time um premier smith took uh Exception to it, she said at her own uh, media availability. uh, People said she had steam coming out of her ears, (laughs) so uh, she wrote her, uh, rewrote her speech on the fly, and uh, basically offered, uh, you know, point by point rebuttal to Wilkinson. Basically, reinforced her narrative, which is that oil is not going away, demand is not going down, Alberta is not going to reduce oil production. We will reduce emissions, but. Reducing oil production, emissions caps, all the all the rest of that is off the table, period. And in her media availability the next day, she said that uh, those are hard those are hard red lines, and that the the her government intends to stand firm. Um, how it played over with the the international audience, I think, is. Uh, Kind of like what you said Corey. it's a pissing. it's a bit of a pissing match and i think people are a little bit confused at what the actual message is and what the support is from the various levels of government that's kind of unfortunate
0: yeah well and nigel like th- these summits are important these gatherings i mean there's the top world oil producers in the world of thousands of the major players i would imagine the last thing they expected though was to be lectured by somebody on peak oil theorism and uh uh, you know, I mean, I understand they, they know transitions coming along, perhaps, but, you know, that sort of attitude coming towards them, basically saying, hey, guys, you're on the way out the door.
2: You know, Corey, one of the things that that um, Sean got in his article this morning, but he didn't say just now, uh, I think it's very, very important, is that you've got oil producers from Africa. And they point out that on that continent, there are still hundreds of millions. I, I think the figure was 900 million people who do not have electricity. And they're not impressed by the theoretical considerations advanced by the government of Canada as to how we should all use less energy. They want to use more because they can't develop without energy. Our own development rested on energy. They want the same opportunities. And what they, they're probably too polite to say what they really think. Of the, federal, uh, of, of the federal announcements and the, 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 the priorities that they're giving to getting, getting us off fossil fuels and fuels. But I would have to imagine that they are very much on side with Danielle Smith when she is saying we need to keep the lights on and the heat on when it's winter. You can't rely on sunshine or wind.
0: And it seems we have some sort of climate summit going on somewhere on the planet that our ministers and activists are jet-setting over to to lecture us on our carbon use and things such as that, yet it still wasn't enough, I guess, for our Canadian government. They had to hit on one where we're talking about oil production.
2: You must be thinking of COP28. Yeah, uh, COP28 yes. in
1: Dubai. And even today, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau's in in uh, New, uh, New York at the global uh, uh, summit there. Uh, he's doubling down on, you know, and giving more more money to developing countries so they can cut down on their climate uh, or increase their climate change. So uh, uh, the Calgary situation was embarrassing, Corey. In that you go to these big things and you're supposed to present a united yeah. a united front, and especially when it's on our home soil. It's uh, you know it's in the home of Canada's oil and gas, and uh, and to pre- to present. Uh, such different fronts would have been an embarrassment to the host?
2: You know, I mean, one of the things that the Prime Minister is doing is giving Romania three billion dollars to do what? To buy small modular reactors. Give it to Alberta if you want Alberta to get off fossil fuels. Our own government is interested they announced a study. I should be letting Sean talk about this, but uh, this is the, what is the matter with these people? That's a big question. Uh, but, you know, we can, we can talk about that a little
0: more. Well, we got Sean on standby from the floor of the Congress, though. I, I guess, aside from our domestic sniping going on, Sean, uh, how have events been proceeding so far at the summit? I, I Do the Delegates at least seem to be, you know, having some productive uh, discourse and events going on.
3: Yeah, I think it's, um, it's been uh, very productive. I, um, there's uh, a lot of, uh, you know, in, intermingling, uh, just even walking around, I just see people from all countries and all cultures. And, uh, you know, the theme of the conference is this uh, road to net zero. And, the, and I think the message that's coming out of it is that uh, proceeding too hard, too fast is gonna put a lot of hardship on people and that uh, the you know the transition, it would be dangerous to uh, accelerate it at the expense, not just from the developing countries who feel like they're getting ripped off from the North. These are countries that have been colonialized for a very long time, but uh, also here in the North, uh, uh, transitioning these uh, energy systems it's gonna take a lot of thought, it's gonna take a lot of technology, and it's something that isn't just going to happen overnight.
0: So are there more uh, uh, speeches, I guess, and presentations from the, the federal and provincial representatives over the course of this Congress? Is there kind of a room to at least reset it to a more positive note?
3: I think that uh, the government uh, role is, is pretty much done. Uh, what we're seeing here in the last couple of days is more presentations from those uh, developing countries. Um, there was uh, an American speaker this morning talking about uh, geopolitical realities and uh, resetting some of these um, great power relationships with countries like China. Um, ag- again, the overarching thing is this uh, energy transition. Um, it's against the backdrop of the war in Ukraine. Uh, just all kinds of tensions that uh, have, you know, there's a, there's a lot of housekeeping that has to be done before. We can make this uh, concerted, concerted shift. And uh, that was the message from Saudi Aramco uh, CEO Nasser, who basically said that uh, we risk creating an energy crisis basically of our own making. This uh, This one is going to be policy driven and it's going to be potentially even more crippling than the shocks that we've seen in the 70s.
0: Well, I guess, you know, we can hope it, it is a big affair. And then aside from those other, uh, you know, the politicians being politicians, hopefully it's a, a productive gathering and then some good, uh, you know, deals are made and then some uh, plans are put forth. Uh, I, I've heard we've gotten between you and some gelato. So I'll let you go pretty soon here. Is there anything you'd like to add before I let you go on this?
3: Uh, well, I actually have to take over a prayer room to find a quiet spot. And uh, I, think, I think I'm think i disrupting uh, some of my uh Congress colleagues from um, facing Mecca and, uh, mm-hmm. the, and their cultural sensitivities as well. So it's
0: probably uh, a good thing that I Okay, well, send our apologies for the incursion and, and thanks for uh, giving us the updates, Sean, and we look forward to your continuing coverage.
1: Okay, thanks, guys. Thanks. It uh, should be noted today, Corey, that British Prime Minister Sunak came out and said we are rolling back the dates of the uh, our scheduled. Uh, you know, where they're they going to uh, uh, mandate
2: electric vehicles and stuff like that. They,
1: he said we're going too hard, too fast. It's going to be too expensive on people, and
2: they've rolled back their uh, their deadlines. Well, you know, Dave, one of the things that's happened over there is that uh, the realization is starting to sink in that producers can't make money generating electricity with offshore windmills. They just put a. It's very similar to a rights sale in the Alberta oil patch, they had a rights sale for the right to put up windmills and generate power. Nobody bid on it. They can't make money. So if you can't generate the power that you want, then presumably you're going to have to make other plans to use that power that you thought you were going to have. So I guess it's, I don't know whether it's back to coal in Great Britain or whether there's a business case for exporting natural gas from Canada to Great Britain. What about that?
1: There you go. But just to quickly touch base on the, the Romania thing again, what an insult to Calgary, what an insult to Alberta for the energy minister to leave this conference where he was scheduled to to host Canada Night, fly to Ottawa uh, to give Romania $3 billion for small. I mean, what an insult. Well, forget, and no, we that, tried Romania before yes, and it didn't did. quite work.
0: There was a can-do reactor fiasco <clears throat> in Romania already once. And then 2014, it was announced that they were going to Produce more in a Chinese SNC Lavalin partnership. Oh, what good can come out of that? And SNC Lavalin is also the one who will get the contract for this. So, again, I mean, SNC could talk the language of uh, nations that are prone to corruption because they know what that's all about. Uh, You start to see the motivation as to why we have to lend money to get people to buy our products when those products come from Quebec. But uh, I guess just in closing, before we get to Jonathan, I, I, I could be mistaken, but I remember the last Petroleum Congress, I believe it was about 20 years ago. I think Jean Chrétien was in power at the time, but it was a much bigger affair. I, I, you know, I remember the protests were a lot bigger in Calgary. Mm-hmm. They, they sanctioned off a big chunk of downtown, I think around the TELUS Convention Center, and they did a bunch out in Kananaskis, I think, as well. It seems like this event is a lot more subdued this time around.
1: Uh, I think you may be right. I think you also may, may be mixing up some of the G uh, the yeah, G7 so G, G seven leaders. G seven leaders were out okay. in Cannon, But the World Petroleum Show was big here uh, in. Oh, sorry, Congress. I told you, I keep screwing it up. Uh, Twenty years ago, That's I, a show. I, yeah, I, I you know I remember there, there was protests. Uh, the next one they had in Seattle, and that uh, uh, devolved into a to a riot and uh, and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, there there was a small demonstration on. Uh, uh, on the weekend before the show officially kicked off, but uh, very small.
0: Well, and that'll segue nicely into Jonathan and his coverage downtown. Maybe the problem is all our left-wing protesters are divided because they got so many things they want to protest all at once that they just spread themselves too thin and, and couldn't hit the Congress with all they had. Uh, so, Jonathan, I, I see you there. What we've got going on, I guess, is this, this uh, March for, for Kids going on. It's, it's happening across the country in major cities uh, maybe, Dave, I'll get you to start, though, and then tell us, you know, kind of frame what this is about here before I talk to John.
1: Sure. it's so the uh, One Million March for Children is the official name of it, uh, started by Muslim groups uh, in Canada who were worried about uh, the lack of parental uh, control in in the uh, the classroom. Uh, started with uh, New Brunswick where they brought in a law to say parents have to be advised if the child wants to. Uh, be known in a, in a different gender, and Saskatchewan followed suit, and there was the the you know the uh, predictable backlash from the left, and that prompted the uh, these Muslim groups to get together. They had weekly demonstrations in Calgary and other places that grew and grew and grew, uh, so they decided to hold a, a national day day today, and uh, holy cow it warmed the cockles of Nigel's cold heart to see the crowds, uh, the crowds in Ottawa, the crowds in Toronto. Uh, St. John, Lethbridge, Red Deer, Edmonton—the crowds were out everywhere. Uh, so there's a lot of people that uh, uh, that have their eyes on this issue. A lot of people actively marching, and uh, you know, Jonathan's at the at the one in Calgary that's got thousands of people at it too.
0: Before we get to the cockles of Nigel's heart, we'll get Jonathan to report on what he's seen downtown. Then, uh, what sort of turnout are we talking about, Jonathan? And and how is it, how I guess the proceedings been going?
4: The proceedings have been going well. It's been a busy day. I'm going to say little over a 1,000 people have shown up. I've seen people from every race, religion, um, different flags and different uh, signs being displayed. There was a small counter-protest happening across the street of about 100 people. Um, I was able to speak with many of the protesters, and they told me that they were out here standing up for their children and defending parental rights. But when I went across the street to try to review some counter-protesters... Uh, one person said that I work for a Nazi newspaper.
0: Well, <laughs> yeah, you're always going to get some of those, that's for sure. At least things have been, uh, from our reports so far, at least where you're at, that nobody's been crossing the street or uh, assailing each other or crossing the line or anything like that.
4: There's been some few heated exchanges between the two sides. Uh, there are police present. They're lining the streets, blocking the two sides. Um, there are, were also uh, mounted police like one of the horses going around because the March did go from the Harry Hayes building to Calgary city hall and then back. And they're going to be leaving for city hall for a second time in about 15 minutes. And yeah.
0: Okay. Sorry. I just saw uh, mm. Sean in the background was gelato.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, to Nigel though. I, I, What are you feeling? Is it inspiring? We haven't seen something quite like this happen before.
2: Well, in one sense, you know, for somebody with my convictions, it's a very inspiring thing. It's uh, it's a bit of a sad thing that it it, uh, took a group of people who weren't brought up here in Canada to get this rolling. What does that tell you about what we're teaching people in Canada? Everybody says, it's okay, you know. Well, no, it's not okay when you uh, define what the common sense of the ages is and try and pretend that men can have babies and If a man says he's a woman, he's a woman, which is what the prime minister believes. Now, that kind of thing should be so obvious to people that they just say, well, that's ridiculous and and walk away. But apparently it isn't. The thing that puzzles me here is the uh, union involvement, because a lot of the protests were orchestrated by a very strong message from a union leader in in Hamilton uh, saying, get out there and get in the face of the people on this million, million march. What's in it for the unions? I, I have to assume that in the end, if you follow it all the way back, it's money. It is, and it's power. It's the power to divert the money into the, into curriculum and jobs for teachers and everybody gets gets rich out of this. But well, I think it's appalling, frankly, that our, in this country, our teaching of our own people has led us to the point that we can't see simple, blindingly obvious things when they are right in front of our faces.
0: Well, and, and I'll ask Jonathan about that this in a moment. It, it's almost a strategic inoculation, though, that uh, unfortunately we're seeing the game of identity politics being played, but they've turned it around because the, the left who loves the identity politics has their victimhood hierarchy and and uh, Islamic people and Muslims land quite high on it, but they forget that they're very social conservative people. The observant Muslims uh, are very upset and offended by uh, some of the things being taught in schools. And it makes it difficult, and they're afraid to counter-protest against another minority. I I suspect, I'm just speculating, had it not been started through that course, we would see a lot more
2: counter-protesters,
0: actually, and a lot more pushback on this, but they're kind of afraid.
2: Yes. You know, can I maybe just repeat a story from something that I wrote recently? And this is a true story. A friend of mine tells me about a colleague, an engineer from Pakistan who did very well in a major oil company in uh, Calgary. He'd been here 20 years, children were born here, and one day the nine-year-old comes back home after school and goes to mom and says, the teacher said, if I wanted to kiss another girl, that would be just fine. So they started asking questions about what was going on in the classroom and what was being taught. And he said, look, that's how it's going to be. I'm out of here. And uh, last year, beginning of last year, he left, took his family with him said, look, if the, the kids have got Canadian citizenship, if they want to come back, they can when they're older. But I am raising those kids back in Pakistan, where I, I know a little more what to expect, and I have more faith in what they will be taught. So, you know, we make a, a big deal about immigration. It is a, it's, it's supposed to be the, the, our strength. and We are chasing away good people. He is not the only one. And people who we should be keeping are finding that our way of life is actually destructive to their families, to their children. When the schools start coming in between the parent and the child, it's time to leave. They can, for the rest of us, it's time to do something. I'm glad to see that some people care enough to get out there and protest.
1: I think, Nigel, the, the mainstream media has a lot to answer for in this in this situation, a uh, Toronto Star columnist last just last week uh, wrote a column saying parents have no right uh, to know anything about their children. Uh, and it was a matter between the, the, the kid and the, and the teacher. Uh, so when you got, and CBC coverage of the protests today made it out to be, uh, you know, hate groups uh, trying to take gay rights and trans rights away from, from people. And that's just not the case at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the exact opposite. I mean, uh, this this is a, a march for for the parents to to be able to have some some say in their child's upbringing. Uh, so when you've got constant media like
2: that hammering at hammering at you, uh, it's no wonder Canadians are confused. Yep, well oh, I agree. It all finds its way back to the postmodernism that they've been teaching in universities and schools now for 50 years. Uh, but so there is no real truth. So when you see something that's very obvious, no, that's not that's. That's not what. Don't let your lying eyes deceive you. That's not what you're looking at. <laughs> you know? So
0: further, I, I just I'll check it with Jonathan one more time before we kind of let him go back. Is they're going to be marching again? Uh, we, we, I, I guess just anecdotally, Jonathan, uh, the the original you know, people who started this were Muslim groups. But is it, are you seeing a lot of uh, minority presence there, or is this, uh, as you said, you saw a bit of everything? But is that the predominant group, or uh, is it kind of a, a bit of everybody now?
4: I'm going to say with the Muslims, it's probably about one third of the people who have shown up, which is a much larger than a percentage of Calgary's population. I've seen many Sikhs, I've seen black people, I've seen white people with Christians with the giant crosses. I've seen non-white Christians. Um, it's really a collection of everyone here and it's, it's, imp- it's Im- I've never seen anything like it.
0: Well, it's, uh, it's a singular event going on. We never would have thought we'd see it coming to this. Uh, so before I let you go to start getting ready to cover that march, is there anything else you'd like to re- report on or let us know before I let
4: you go? Well, one thing I would say is that they are having they have a speaker area where they're having a variety of people come on and give speeches. And many of the speeches have been very positive. There was actually one, uh, the organizer, Mamid Moura, who started off by saying, we don't hate anyone. We believe in love for everyone. We just feel that the other side's misguided. And I feel that's the real point of the protest happening and what they're emphasizing.
0: Great. Okay. Well, we'll look forward to your reports and and what else you see there, Jonathan. uh, Stay safe down there. Right.
1: no gelato for Jonathan. No,
0: apparently not. But I'm certain he can pick something up along the, the way out there. But, you know, something I just said earlier, too, is something that's changed. As we know, we're, we're different in view. I'm quite libertarian, quite socially liberal. But a line that crossed for me, and I think a lot of people down there, was the school's getting between the parents and the children. I don't want the state raising the kids. I have absolutely no issue with parents feeling that their children should embrace LGBTQ uh, you know, if they are that way or not, or I support uh, same-sex marriage, I have no issues with any of that. But that's up to the family on how the course of action is going to go with that, not the school system. And and when, when you're told so arrogantly, as Dave said, by the star, you don't have a right as a parent any longer to know what your children are up to. I, again, that's not hateful as to why I would be supportive of this sort of protest. It's as a libertarian that
2: you're infringing on my rights and choices as a parent. Well, you know, it's unfortunate that we've used the phrase parental rights because really what we should be talking about is parental responsibilities. You know, rights sounds like you own them in a chattel sort of way. No, no, no. It is the responsibility of parents because there is nobody better to do it than mom and dad. Parents will lay down their lives for their children, literally in some you know, in extreme circumstances. They will certainly do it if they decide to help pay for a college education, they will lay down their lives figuratively. No new Buick until the, uh, the kids graduate. So uh, there is nobody else who has that degree of commitment to children. There is the love of the mother for the child. There is the responsibility, the protective nature of the father. And people say, yeah, there's bad parents. Well, guess what? There are bad schools and there are unwise counselors. Nobody can be trusted to look after children like the parents. This is a protest to in favor of parental responsibility, not parental rights.
0: It's, it's a good way to, to put that. And I mean, part of it is just the activists. They seem to overstep. I, I mean, there's members of the LGBTQ community getting tired of it. It's just never enough. It's a, you start to defy reality when we start putting out absurd images of pregnant men or, or you know, uh, other such things as this. Uh, you know, we, common sense has to eventually take hold. And, and again, I was struck by. I mean, if, if people really felt this was truly an anti-gay protest, a real hate-filled, terrible event like this, I think we would see a heck of a lot more than a hundred counter protesters. A lot more people would be coming out and say, "No, we've got to yeah, nip yeah. this hate mm-hmm. in the bud." And it's actually kind of a strikingly no, especially with the amount of union effort and other efforts to get people out. It, it kind of fell flat.
1: Yeah, the uh, the Hamilton union leader that we were talking about was encouraging uh, their members to to follow protesters back to the car and intimidate them and, and whatnot. Uh, uh, so far, uh, you know, at the time of taping, everything's been peaceful. Been lots of yelling and uh, you know giving of the middle finger and uh, and whatnot. But uh, you know, it doesn't look like mass arrests or uh, people getting tr- uh, stomped on by uh, Ottawa police forces. But it, it, it's kind of got that convoy feeling, doesn't it? The mm-hmm. Freedom convoy feeling, you know. People are taking to the streets of Ottawa again by the, by the thousands. And, uh, oh, there's Jagmeet Singh behind a rainbow flag. And he's, he's you know, uh, trying to – everything's a fight, right? It does, everything doesn't have to be a fight. It's just uh, – I think you hinted at it earlier, Nigel. It's just common sense, you know, if you're a parent who cares about their kids and are interested in uh, what they're learning at school, you want a say. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, it, it's, it's, it's just there. It's just
2: so easy. It, it shouldn't be an argument. You know, the interesting thing is, where does this go from here? So they have a day of protest. They get a million or they get a half a million, whatever they get. The other side turns out and screams at them. Or what are the kids going to get in the classroom? Same
1: stuff. Same stuff. And the prime minister who thinks uh, a man can be a woman uh, if, he's, if he or she says so. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, so, that I, I hope, you know. But, you know, we have seen uh, the government of uh, New Brunswick, uh, Saskatchewan, say they're, they're, they're going to put, uh, put laws in to protect parental rights, parental responsibilities, as you say. I certainly see the same thing coming uh, from uh, Daniel Smith's UCP in, in Alberta. Um, Quebec, Ontario, their education ministers have all come out and said uh, that, you know, the parents have the every right. Uh, so I, I think that the, the pendulum is slowly, slowly turning. And, uh, you know, credit to the Muslims for uh, organizing and uh, uh, getting uh, the rest of their Canadian uh, comrades to uh, wake up and smell the roses. You
0: bet. Right. That's it. And the people out there are people who don't typically protest. I mean, they've got better things to do on a Wednesday, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with their time. Uh, the people, I mean, as I said on, on my show earlier, I drove through, you know, where they're already getting staged on each side when I was coming downtown this morning. There were a lot of early goers to it. And, and uh, you know, on, on uh, Fourth Avenue, I could see the uh, counter protesters on the left. And I recognized already a couple of the the chronics. They show up for everything. That's their thing. They're career protesters that's fine. They're going to show up no matter what happens. And they're going to call people things like they did with Jonathan and stuff like that. But the, the parents, the Islamic people, they aren't typically out there. And that, that should be more striking to people as well. They, they aren't constantly protesting. They aren't that experienced at it. And uh, it's just good that it
1: hasn't gotten violent. And, and that's a group that normally votes liberal. Yeah. Uh, and that's a section of the population that I think will not vote liberal in the next election, and uh, that can't be overlooked.
2: No, it's a, it's. A, and by the way, thumbs up to Jonathan for getting out there and taking it. He's bullsy. It's unpleasant going amongst
0: a bunch yeah. of people who, who've got that much vitriol. Uh, yeah. Especially
1: world. when you have no gelato.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's, he's not getting any of the benefits today. Nope. Uh, but, you know, and something that struck me before when, when the Islamic uh, some groups were, were protesting and getting upset with some of these school decisions was a statement from Justin Trudeau where he implied that they've been misled by uh, conservative rhetoric. This was a few American weeks ago. American conservative yeah, rhetoric, if you recall. But, but how patronizing. It was basically <laughs> saying they're too stupid to see through rhetoric, and they've been fooled, and the wool's been pulled over their eyes. <laughs> They're well aware of what they're doing, what they think, Mm -hmm. what their values are. And to have the prime minister imply such, I mean, again, in in the typical fashion of Justin Trudeau, he just poured more gas on the fire.
2: That was painful. Painful Mm -hmm. to watch.
1: Maybe that's why he's uh, trailing by 15 points in the polls. People are starting to wake up.
0: Mm-hmm. One among many, many reasons I'm certain he's trailing. So and I'll get on to our, our Prime Minister for our next subject as we pivot here. Before I do, uh, I should remind everybody as well uh, as to how and why we stay independent. It's not just the sponsors like the CSSA, but it's you guys who've taken out memberships. So for viewers, guys, if you've already taken out a membership with us, thank you very much. We really, really appreciate it. If you haven't yet, get on there, News slash Membership. a month, $100 a year. It's a good deal for the amount of news content you're getting, the opinion content, and it helps get people like Jonathan out there uh, taking his abuse on the street, and uh, uh, people like Sean out there living in the lap of luxury eating uh, gelato in (laughs) prayer rooms. But uh, we really do uh, appreciate it. and We need that, and that's how we continue to proudly say we do not take any tax dollars, and we will not. Okay, getting on to Prime Minister... Trudeau. So he really kicked off the uh, parliamentary session with uh, quite a bombshell this week. Dave, uh, like just uh, we've never seen anything, an accusation
1: like this out of the Canadian. I No, why, why do we let this guy go to India? It's, it's a fiasco <laughs> it every out, time. No. Yeah, But he stood up and he did drop a bombshell. He accused uh, uh, Indian agents of being behind the murder of uh, Hardeep Singh Najjar. Uh, who was gunned down outside a, a mosque in Surrey uh, three months ago? Uh, he blamed the government of India, and uh, you know, jaws dropped in the uh, in the House of Commons. And uh, uh, Pierre Polyev delivered an elegant response, and uh, Jagmeet Singh delivered a uh, an angry, re- angrier response as you would expect uh, from uh, Jagmeet being being a Sikh. But uh, this this story has got all sorts of mysterious. Uh, uh, angles to it uh uh cory trudeau apparently went around to the his the, the five eyes australia and great britain and uh, and the united kingdom uh and told them about this before he announced it publicly in canada to try and get them to support you know canada in, in the announcement and their outrage and they all ignored him, uh which is not a good sign obviously for uh, for trudeau uh, Nigel wrote a great column today. Um, he'll pontificate on on uh, uh, why we should be careful of this. But uh, yeah, it's uh, the only other Canadian we can ever remember being assassinated by a foreign power was a gentleman called uh, Gerald Bull, who was working with Iraq to develop super long guns. And he was killed in Belgium uh, by the Israelis in 1990. Uh, so it's very, very rare, uh, rare
2: occurrence, Corey. Well, it's, a rare, it's rare for Canadians to be involved. I mean, I, I think it's sort of stock in trade if you're dealing in Eastern Europe or South America, but no. uh, certainly this is an unusual incidence. But, you know, the, the prime minister, if asked, would probably say, well, I didn't actually accuse them. I said there was credible um, allegations that with a potential link. Okay, you have just accused them, sir. You can't <laughs> split hairs like that. And I, I think the the overall takeaway from this is that if the Prime Minister of Canada has evidence that this took place there should be charges and in the absence of charges he should shut up because there are much bigger things going on here Uh, not the least of which is uh, developing Canadian trade with India but In the the big global picture, these people are our allies, whether he likes it or not, whether Mr. Singh, like uh, Jagmeet, uh, likes it or not. India and Canada are on the same side. They're both democracies, they both aspire to the same things, and they're both worried, frankly, about the rise of China. So if you are going to irritate your strongest allies, you better have the evidence to back it up. This was reckless and irresponsible and frankly takes idiocy to a level that frankly in the last couple of decades only Mr. Trudeau has ever attained. Well you saw the
1: scenes from the from the G twenty. Uh uh, in India, uh, very cool between the oh, Prime Minister Modri and, and Trudeau, uh, uh, and the, it hadn't even been made, made public then. But the, the, the relationship between India and Canada is now in tatters. Uh, you remember Trudeau's first visit there when he embarrassed everybody dressing up and uh, uh, flouting around, around there. Uh, but, 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 you know, a Team Canada trade mission to India it was supposed to go was cancelled this week. So that that shows you some of the fallout. And Nigel, I'd I'd like to ask you a question. It must hurt because you were, as the chief speechwriter for Prime Minister Harper, you saw how hard he worked to build that relationship with India uh, over his decade
2: in power. Uh, That's now just left a a smoldering pile. Yeah, well, it's like so many other things that the Conservative government accomplished over that 10 years, almost 10 years during which they they led the country. Uh, obviously, when the liberals came in, they had very, very different ideas. And piece by piece, they took it apart. And uh, but you know, you saw some things vanish, and you thought, well, at least the sort of the major planks in what we did are so obviously and self-evidently of worth that they're not going to screw with that. Well, the Indian, the Indian uh, relationship. Was one of those major planks. We were, we were marketing uh, Canadian energy to the uh, atomic energy to India. We were marketing the uh, the fuel to go with it. Comes from Saskatchewan. Um, we were trying to develop the the export of grains and lentils and all kinds of things that they were in the mood to buy. And there was a very strong personal affection between uh, Harper and Modi. Like they got on well they could sort of go into the room all the aides could just sort of sit back and these two would talk and they were, we're both the economists right both economists yeah yeah uh, they, but they could talk and uh, and like so much of what gets done at the international level in the end comes down to can you get along with the other guy harper and moody got along just fine you see this photographs of them smiling together moody came back did a visit in Ottawa in 2015 just a few months before the uh, election. Uh, it was very obvious to anybody, that this this was a good, strong relationship and trade trade was going to fall out of that. It's, it tatters, I think you said earlier. Tatters. But not, I yes. remember
1: one of the striking photos out of the G20, a uh, Canadian press photographer took it. I don't think any Canadian papers ran it. It was Joe Biden, his yeah. finger in Trudeau's face lecturing him. Yeah. And, uh, you know, do we have any any standing left uh, in the international world anymore, or has he completely torn it down? He's not respected. You know, he's not, is he any, is he not
2: respected anywhere. No. Well, um, I mean, certainly we have got a very similar picture from Xi in China, uh, telling him exactly where the exits are. So you've got the two most populous countries in the world, China and India, each with close to a billion and a half people, Neither of them, their leaders, neither of the leaders of either of those countries can stand the sight of Mr. Trudeau in their presence. And I haven't seen the picture of Biden that you're speaking of, but it sounds like that's not going very well either. No, I don't think so.
0: And to play a, you know, a, a bit of a devil's advocate, I mean, it's not beyond belief. There, there's, some, there's some very complicated politics going on in India. It's a complicated, diverse country. They have a calisthenic separatist issue going on there's a some of those battles have leaked into other countries where the, the you know populations have, have moved out uh potentially maybe government agents had done it we don't know that's the thing is he hasn't provided any evidence but the, the thing is what they do it to a country they respect see that's, that's something we're talking about as well it's not like canada a big military power and could do something but if we were respected then maybe, you know, we're not going to meddle in Canada. We'll try diplomatically dealing with yeah. this or, or other ways rather than, than if, again, that's what happened.
2: Okay, when I'm pouring cold water on the, what the Prime Minister has said, I'm not discounting the fact that it's quite possible that something like this did happen. But he has not given us any reason. He has not shown us enough evidence to press charges. And until he has that, he should have been quiet about it.
1: And I think this is going to end up being a, a similar case to the Chinese election meddling. I'll bet you dollars to donuts the Trudeau government was warned about this this situation uh, years ago, and the uh, the developing uh, uh, you know frustration with in, with the Calistan uh, <coughs> movement and the anger t- uh, that, that it generates. So I'm sure the Canadian military, or not the military, the CSIS was on top of it. There were there were warnings uh, that this guy may be a target before he was targeted. Uh, so, you know, people could see it coming. What we need is a special rapporteur. Special oh, rapporteur. No. <laughs> What's David Johnson doing at the moment?
0: <laughs> yeah, he's between jobs. I yeah, t- could use a job. I mean, I, I don't know if he'd gotten a specific warning about this particular man as a target, though people knew he was certainly a, a character who was... Not in, in good books with with India in general. Uh, if he wasn't part of the separatist movement, he certainly flirted very heavily with them, and I think it was kind of common knowledge he was a mm-hmm. uh, representative of that movement. Uh, but he was. Trudeau was warned, at least, of the interference back in twenty seventeen. I, I had uh, the good fortune of having Sam Cooper on my show today. Oh and yeah, we talked about that, and he put that out on the bureau, his his site there. You see he's been getting a lot of those CISA c- c- documents have been coming his way and uh, Trudeau was warned of that in 2017. He was warned it's a big and growing issue in lower mainland BC that there are agents getting to work down in there interfering with politics and it's getting dangerous and uh, there were action plans that actually Prime Minister Harper had already started the process on and Trudeau responded his government by basically shutting down those plans and pushing aside the warning.
2: And then he went off to his India trip and embarrassed us. See, that's one more thing, in the list of things that we did that they took apart. I hadn't I hadn't actually known about that one.
0: Yeah. I hadn't either, actually, until uh, Mr. Yeah. Cooper, you know, broke it down. There was already a process. This was known. This has been known for a while. Uh, Russia has been meddling around over here, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is what rogue countries kind of do, but for Trudeau to continue to ignore the warnings of, of our security agencies. What's the point of these agencies? If you're not going to take seriously when they tell you, hey, we've got a problem starting.
1: Yeah, it's certainly striking. Uh, uh, you know, for months now, Trudeau's been trying to push the China interference uh, uh, under the rug and ignore it and whatnot. But then as soon as this thing breaks, he's making statements in Parliament. Uh, you know, he's sort of Handling them differently.
2: So well, so. you know, I, I think that he needed some sort of an alibi for the shocking performance that he left behind in India. And uh, this, uh, at the time, it seemed like a good idea. I, I have to wonder whether he still thinks it was such a good idea. But at the time, you know, it came back. Well, this is what's been going on. That's why they. That's why they hated me. You Could know? very well be. It's he, he can be that trivial. He doesn't have good relationship with good
0: ideas in general. And and and, and kicking off Parliament. I mean, that's part of what. Kind of great, saw me as well. If this was a crisis, if this was what's going on, if this was something worthy of announcement, you don't need to do it there. You can do a press conference as soon as you found out about it, if, if that's what should be done. But he made political theater of it. He used that as an opportunity, I think, to distract the opening of the parliamentary session from his own incompetence on the economic file and everything mm-hmm. else he's touched. Yep.
2: Which- no argument. It's uh,
0: distressing. I mean, now he's lobbed a, a diplomatic turd into the punch bowl with with India. That, that it, it could take multiple governments to try and mend this relationship.
1: Yeah, these uh, these foreign leaders they have long memories. Uh, you know, it'll. I think it'll be a while before Mr. Trudeau uh, goes back to uh, India, if ever. If ever, yeah. yeah.
0: Well, and it's a breach of trust. I think uh, on the diplomatic front in general. I mean, diplomacy. That it, it's a tricky, specialized, sensitive world in general. It means that. You don't necessarily like the person you're in the room dealing with or some of the actions, but you're very careful about how you're going to publicly speak about what that other leader is doing or what their country's actions have been.
2: Well, you know, Corey, international relations is not the same as retail politics. Mr. Trudeau, I give him his due, he is very good at what we call retail politics. Walk in a room, smile, shake hands with people, say the right thing. You can, He can do that. I mean, there are times when he's made a mess of it, but uh, overall, that's, that's one of his strengths. But the canniness that goes with, the, uh, with, the, with international relations and the willingness to take the advice of the people do it on a full-time basis, he seems to have real struggles with that. I and mean, then just the plain common sense, if you don't have the evidence, don't make idle claims.
1: Exactly, shows sure the evidence.
2: You know, because when they say put up or shut up,
0: what are you going to do? Well, and other leaders are going to feel, I think, even less inclined to confide in him in, mm. in, in other affairs or issues that are sensitive. I mean, Absolutely. that's part of it, too. If, if something's blowing up in Australia and they're wanting other... Well, I don't want to talk to that Trudeau about it. We've got to deal with this carefully, and I don't know what that that fellow's going to say because he doesn't seem to be able to maintain discretion or thoughtfulness on these
1: issues. Well, you can see it on the uh, in the Five Eyes, where, where um, basically Canada's is being uh, being left out. Uh, NATO had their biggest air maneuvers. Uh, Uh, in history uh, a month or so ago in Europe, and uh, not a single Canadian uh, plane was there. Uh, The big uh, nuclear, uh, the submarine deals that have been going on between Britain and Australia and France and Australia, Canada just gets ignored, overlooked, uh, because they don't want to deal with Trudeau. And uh, it's hurting us just on so many fronts. It's not funny anymore.
0: Oh, it's such a shame, and, and Canada did have a, a good reputation as a, you know, as I've said before, punching above our weight as a, a smaller nation, but being wise, diplomatic, and and uh, you know, standing in strong support of of issues. I mean, even Pearson, as a liberal, was still very respected on the world stage, and, and we're uh, a long
2: way away from there now.
1: Yeah, we're, I think we're down in the lightweight flyweight division. Can't go any lower.
2: Well, you know, it, it's if you're if you're a young person, it may not be on your mind. But in 1945, when Canada came out of the Second World War, it was the fourth strongest military power in the world. Now, I grant you that some of the really strong ones had just been defeated and taken off the chessboard. But Great Britain, the United States, the Soviet Union, then Canada, 100-ship navy, more more aircraft than we've ever had since. Uh, A million people out of a population of 11 million Put on uniform. It was an incredible effort, and of course, the battle honors and you look through them are, are there? To, they remain today, and uh, it's it's just such a such an area of endeavor that this government doesn't even care about. Never mind make an effort at all. They're worried about is using the armed forces as a place where they can do social experiments. Soldiers can wear their hair long, paint their nails, come to cross-dress if that's what pleases them. And, you know, the good guys are getting out and what's going to be left. Is
1: there any wonder there are thousands of uh,
2: soldiers short of uh, what they need? Well, I mean, Linda, our columnist Linda Sabote and our friend and colleague Linda put out a column about two weeks ago saying, don't believe the government Uh, messaging the actual number of troops out of an establishment of 68,000 is more like about 34 and it's going down to 30 by Christmas and this is what she got from sources that she couldn't disclose.
1: It's a good thing the world is so calm now and there's no, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, no, uh, yeah.
2: no no chance of uh, fighting anywhere at the moment. Damn it, you know, you get me on the show and you get me all riled up and uh, I get angry and then I go and write columns, you know, yeah. is, this just a, is this
0: just a trick? Well, you see, since I have my show to vent it out, yeah. it uh, uh, out of my system. <laughs> oh, well, I'm sure we're still a strong and, and, and great nation in many ways. We, we are, we are, can't forget we're that. We're in a rough spot period and we will get and even if it does feel interminable right now. So that's all the time we've got today. Thank you very much, Dave, Nigel. A pleasure. Good fun though, blood pressure raising conversation and uh, we'll do it all again next week at this time. so but thanks for joining us, everybody out there and we'll see you then.
5: Here's what commodity prices are doing in Lethbridge today. Cash barley remains at 340. Feed wheat is steady at 355. While October corn is unchanged at 350, and November December is trading at 318 per metric ton. In the milling wheat markets, December Minneapolis futures are higher one and a quarter cents at 781 per bushel, with local hard red spring bid for October movement at 955 per bushel. Looking at canola, November futures added three dollars and ten cents at 737.40 per ton, with delivered buys for October movement at 1672 per bushel. In the pulse markets, nearby red lentil prices. Are higher a half a cent at 36 cents a half cents per pound and yellow peas are lower 25 cents at 10.75 per bushel in the cattle markets october live cattle are up 75 cents at 186.43 per hundred weight for more information on pricing or picked up options give me a call at 403 394 1711 i'm matt musicum at marketplace commodities accurate real-time marketing information and pricing options
0: Canadian Shooting Sports Association. Without the CSSA, our gun rights would have been taken long, long ago. These guys are on the front lines, helping to draft smart and intelligent firearms, regulations and legislation in Canada. And more importantly, educating the public about how we keep guns out of the hands of the wrong people. If you become a member, it's absolutely worth every penny. You can become a Western Standard member for just $10 a month or $99 a year for unlimited access.